0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. This is the fourth Sunday of Easter, so we're about halfway through that week of weeks, those seven weeks that we celebrate. contemplate the resurrection of our Lord. At this kind of halfway point, we celebrate Good Shepherd Sunday, always the fourth uh, Sunday of Easter. And so for Jesus, the Good Shepherd, it's our name day feast, our patronal feast, our our feast day. And uh, because we uh, had our first uh, service on Easter Sunday it's become a time that we celebrate uh, our anniversary and so this is our 11th anniversary at Jesus the Good Shepherd uh, very different than last year at our 10th anniversary um, we had our wonderful picnic and uh, we were there with the bishop and we sang songs and had such wonderful fellowship the church seems so full and active, and now here we are in this quiet uh, season, uh, but uh, just as blessed, if not more so this year uh, than last year, for the, um, the warmth and the fellowship of our, uh, of our people, even at a distance. And so we have so much to be thankful for and so much to think about in this analogy that is the one that we've um, made uh, center stage for our little community here, and that's the analogy of Jesus being a shepherd. Uh, There's lots of analogies that the Lord uses to describe his relationship with us, right? He talks about himself as a father and us as his children. He talks about himself as a husband and we as wives. He talks about himself as a hen and we as the chicks. Uh, There's so many different analogies that he uses, and here he's got a really great one, which is that he's a door. This isn't one that we uh, get a lot of time with or that we spend a lot of time talking about, Jesus the door. I've been thinking that when we plant a new Anglican church across town, we need to call it Jesus the door of Las Vegas. Uh, I think that would be a wonderful uh, name for a church, and I think that uh, you know, you could spend a lifetime talking about what that means, uh, that Jesus is a door. He says this uh, right after chapter 9. In chapter 9 of John's gospel, he heals the man born blind. And this is an incredible miracle, right? This isn't somebody who's gone blind. Somebody who's gone blind has all the neurons and the, the uh, parts of the brain that are needed to uh, transmit and to interpret uh, what we see. Somebody who's born blind, uh, they're Brains don't uh, get programmed and structured for sight, and so uh, we don't see somebody who's born blind and who lives into adulthood become healed. Uh, the brain has not. Uh, given itself the tools that it needs to understand sight and so to heal somebody who's born blind requires that Jesus is healing more than their eyes more than the optic nerve it's a whole restructuring of the brain and the central nervous system really a recreation of this person uh, that he heals so this is an incredible and remarkable healing that clearly identifies Jesus as God Uh, this is no simple healing And so, of course, the Pharisees become very upset. The religious leaders of the day become very upset because they understand that this is a miracle from God and they can't understand how it is that Jesus could have this authority. And so they start questioning him. Who are you? Where are you from? How do you get this kind of power? You know, rather than submitting themselves in humility, uh, they attack him. And so Jesus points out, well, you're blind spiritually. And this is a much bigger problem than to be blind physically. Physical blindness is... uh, A horrible thing but it's not as bad as spiritual blindness spiritual blindness means we can't tell right from wrong we can't discern how it is that we're supposed to act in our lives we don't know how it is that we're supposed to think and worst off when god comes we don't recognize him we think he's somebody else and this is the blindness that the pharisees have god comes to them and they don't recognize him That's true spiritual blindness, and it's much more serious uh, because he is life, and now they are not recognizing uh, abundant life in their midst. And Jesus says that to heal this kind of spiritual blindness, we have to be in a relationship. This healing comes through a relationship, and it comes through the kind of relationship that a shepherd has with its sheep. So this is a very intense and complex kind of relationship, right? Uh, That means that uh, when the shepherd speaks, the sheep recognize his voice and listen and do what he says to do. That's pretty complex, isn't it? Uh, we know this kind of relationship and we know where it comes from. The first time you call a dog by its name, uh, the dog isn't going to respond, right? If the dog grows up as a puppy in the house and recognizes its voice and they get that relationship, then that dog is going to come and go as called. Even a cat that grows up in a house uh, will answer its name or come when it hears food at least, uh, or come when they see you in the kitchen, they get familiarity and they understand that relationship. But it comes through relationship. It comes through time spent it comes through repetition it comes through practice right and sometimes uh, some people think oh i should just recognize the lord's voice without any kind of practice uh, without any kind of relationship or discipline this is foolishness and foolhardiness for us to recognize the lord's voice and for us to be able to respond to him we have to practice hearing it to practice hearing the voice we've got to spend time with him we've got to be quiet and give him a chance to speak so we have to have that discipline of quiet, of waiting for the Lord and practicing hearing his voice. And of course, we need the Holy Scriptures. And this is uh, what Nehemiah is really teaching us today in this beautiful passage, this historic passage in chapter 9. You'll remember that uh, at this point, Israel has returned from exile in Babylon. And so they come back to the Holy Land and they find it ravaged, right? It's been uh, sitting in weeds for 70 years. You can imagine, right? The walls have been broken down. Uh, their water system has been decimated. Their sewage system has been destroyed. Uh, the structure of their society is gone. There's no law and order. Uh, there's no material provision. There's no walls to the city, no chance to protect themselves. And Nehemiah comes in at this time, in their return from Babylon, as a governor. He's a layman. And, and I can't stress this enough, that for Jesus the Good Shepherd to be successful, for any group of Christians to be sex- successful, we have to have the kind of lay leadership that Nehemiah is. You know, Ezra cannot preach the gospel without Nehemiah. Nehemiah has to order the group that he has to get them together and assemble them, and he has to arrange for the scriptures to be read. Otherwise, the priest is just speaking amongst rabble that don't listen. And so the second part of our lesson is Ezra speaking up and preaching. Nehemiah is the one that organizes them and gets them to do that first half of the liturgy. You see in this lesson here, we have the whole shape of the liturgy laid out for us. We didn't just come up with this order of worship on our own, right? This is from Scripture. What do they do? They assemble together as a group, right? They come together. They confess their sins, right? They worship the Lord. They hear the Scriptures being read. This convicts them... And then Ezra says, this is what God has done. He gives the history of salvation, which is what we're about to do in Holy Communion, right? The Eucharistic prayer is a summary of salvation history, what God has done for his people and what he's done for us and our baptisms. And so this is the structure and the shape of the liturgy, and it's what's required for us to hear the voice of the Lord and to be responsive. We have to have that discipline of repentance and listening to the Word of God. Then we have to put it into practice. That's the second part, right? He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So St. Peter is talking about this, they follow me portion. And he's emphasizing that we have to do good and righteousness. Right, And he says that uh, the leaders have been put into place by God and we're supposed to be uh, dutiful and, and obedient by doing good. He doesn't say by doing whatever they tell us to do. He says we're dutiful and obedient by doing good. That means we know what good is that means that we have the practice of living in freedom and he says don't use freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want that's not freedom freedom isn't i'm going to do whatever i want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else that's a a, a junior high that's a grade school definition of freedom true freedom is uh, disciplined living according to the will of god that's true freedom right? And so um, I've been using the example of a a sharpshooter on a basketball court, right? He can shoot from anywhere on the court where the person that doesn't have that discipline has to be very close to the basket, right? They've got less freedom than the guy who is, um, who's going anywhere. I was listening to an interview with Katie Ledecki, the great long distance swimmer who won all those golds four years ago and of course uh, was supposed to, to go back and compete in Japan this year. And I heard her interviewed and, and she was talking about the, the, the workouts that she does. I was exhausted listening to how she works out, right? She's in the pool twice a day, six days a week and does dry land workouts in between you know that's incredible to me and you could see the benefit when she swam she lapped all the competitors that's freedom she was free in the pool she could have lapped them once or she could have lapped them twice right Uh, she could do whatever she wanted to do in that water but not because she just did what felt good she followed the discipline of that practice and so this is how we know what good is And St. Peter is very clear here, right? Um, He gives the example of when you do good and suffer for it, Um, This is people who do good when the government or the leaders don't want them to do good, right? When they tell them to do evil. And uh, we don't even need to name any governments to talk about that, right? Because this is basically every government that's ever been in, in any kind of power all over the world, right? They lose their way. They start to do things that serve them. They're not following God. And as Christians, we're always obedient to God. Uh, We're always obedient to Him first. And sometimes we'll suffer for that. Sometimes we'll suffer for doing that good thing. And uh, St. Peter says this is a gracious thing in the sight of God, a gracious thing for us to suffer um, for doing what's right, right? Because the whole purpose is that we're going to die to sin and live to righteousness. That's the whole um, purpose of God saving us, of Him dying for us. So what does it mean that He's a door? It reminds me of uh, when we had a a youth convention in Fresno for the diocese some years ago. It was a wonderful gathering. We had a couple hundred kids, teenagers, junior high school, 12 to 17 year olds from all over the diocese. We had them in a big gymnasium uh, when St. James Cathedral had this big gym and uh, we decided that we were gonna have them sleep all in the gym to save money, right? We'd have to pay for them to go to hotels and to pay for us to go to hotels. So um, a couple of the rich kids of the rich churches went to hotels, but the rest of us, right, were sleeping on the floor. And then the counselors recognized wait a minute, there's like a dozen doors to this gym and these kids are like cats. They've been coming in and out all day. We need to keep them inside of the gym. How are we going to do that? And there had been um, some gang members in this neighborhood of Fresno that had been lurking in the parking lot earlier. So we're worried, how are we going to keep these gang members out and our kids safe inside? We finally realized that we were going to have to sleep on the floor along the doorways of this gym, right? The counselors. So we laid across the door. In effect, We became the doors. Right? We became the doors. By laying across that doorway, we became the door. We were protecting them from what was outside and keeping them inside, protecting them from themselves. And this is what Jesus means by He's the door. He's the way into the salvation of the Father. And if we would allow Him, He will be our protector. This is what the shepherds of the ancient Near East would do. They would take their sheep and at nighttime they'd lead them into a culvert or a small ravine or an outcropping of rock where the sheep could stay safe. And then the shepherd would find the path that he led them in on and he would lay himself across that well-worn path to keep the sheep in and the wolves out. So he becomes the door. He becomes the entryway. He becomes the protector uh, both from within and without. And this is what the Lord wants to do for us today. Why, He says, because I want you to have life. And this doesn't mean uh, free from illness and suffering. These bodies will wither like grass. He means to keep us safe from people who would so distort our thinking and our spiritual sight that we wouldn't know good from evil. He means to keep us safe from people who would be so confused that they would tell us that Christ is not risen or that he won't come again. It means that he's going to keep us safe from those who are so confused that they won't know right from wrong, and they'll think that whatever a government says is God's righteousness. This is what he's protecting us from. This is what he's giving us eyesight for, so that we can discern the will of God, so that we can perceive what is good and what is righteous, and so that we can live life that is abundant, that is in this life and forevermore with him in eternity. May we have life abundantly this day and forevermore. Amen.